when you look at bicycles here in Uganda specifically, people are using it to try and improve their well-being, achieve economic justice, achieve social justice. So good morning, afternoon or evening from wherever you're tuning in to today's podcast from. We'd like to welcome you to the Sport, Social Justice and Development podcast, a new podcast that aims to critically explore the utility of sport and other forms of physical activity, recreation and leisure around the world for development pursuits. So to do this, we engage in exploratory and in-depth conversations with practitioners, researchers, organizational staff, and participants involved with sports, social justice, and development programs. And today, even though we are missing our co-host, Dr. Lindsay Hayhurst, uh, we are joined by a fantastic guest, Janet Ote, and we'll be talking with Janet about the work of Union of Hope and Lyra, Northern Uganda. Janet will also be talking about her experiences more broadly when she spoke with a variety of practitioners and participants of Bicycles for Development programs across Uganda. Um, and many of these practitioners lead non-governmental organizations using Bicycles for Development oriented work. So Janet is a Ugandan with over 10 years experience in managing development projects on refugees, women's rights, as well as clinical research and communities within Uganda. And through her work, Janet seeks to explore the intersections between sports and the social cultural factors affecting and relations and community health in sub-Saharan Africa. She has a master's degree in development and security from University of Bristol and United Kingdom. And we'd like to welcome Janet today. Hey, Janet, thanks for joining us today. We're excited to get started. Thank you, Mitch. All right. So I think first, Janet, we'll kind of just open up about the term bicycles for development or bicycles for social justice. And we're wondering, what are your thoughts on the term and use of bicycles for development? Would you call it this movement? Would you call it, for example, bicycles for development? And what do you think of the bicycle in pursuit of certain social and development oriented goals? I actually like the term bicycles for development mm -hmm. because... You know, when you look at bicycles here in Uganda specifically, people are using it to try and improve their well-being mm. such that uh, they can improve their livelihoods and achieve their highest potential, achieve economic justice, achieve social justice. So for me, I see that it is a perfect word when we say bikes for development. Whereas if you look in the other side of it, maybe the what Madison and her paper calls the international organizations, most of which fund the bicycles that we tend to use here, maybe the term may be a bit different for them. But here in Uganda, bike for development is a great term. And maybe just to add something, some organizations definitely portray what we call a movement. Because when you look at a movement, you're looking at people, a group of people with a shared purpose who create change together. They have strong leaders, strong partnerships, powerful grassroots support, and maybe a shared goal or plan for the future. Now, when I look at that, some of the organizations that we visited definitely show that kind of thing. You could say they have a movement going on. But I wouldn't look at all the organizations that we visited as being a movement. 
But I think the right term is that they are actually, they've identified bicycles as a tool that can lead to development. And so this term bike for development is a great term that I would use. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you, Janet. And that's great to hear that you're, uh, you know, kind of in favor of the term because, you know, it's something that we constructed based on looking around the world at these organizations. And we're trying to figure out, you know, if that's the best term and seeing from a variety of different perspectives, if this term should be used. So, so thanks a lot for that. One quick question before we move on to talking about the bicycle focused social justice programs in Uganda is, I know you mentioned Madison's work and I know you've worked with Madison, but for our listeners, would you be able to provide a brief overview of the work that was done with Madison just briefly before we move on to talking about some of the social justice programs? Okay, with Madison, we identified different organizations that do this kind of work, bike for development or bike for social justice across the country. And after identifying them, we went to visit those different organizations looking at what, how are these organizations structured? Who are their leaders? Uh, what are their objectives? How are the bicycles moving into these organizations? So we interviewed about 12 organizations in total across the country. Majority of these organizations were in Northern Uganda, but there was a few in Central Uganda and even, yes, in Central Uganda. And there are some in Western Uganda. So that's what we did. And we noticed one thing that a number of them are actually targeting one thing, development, looking at especially issues of uh, poverty, issues of health, and they are mostly grassroots led. Great. Yeah, thanks. And that's some uh, great background for what was done. And for those listening to the podcast, so Madison Ardizzi was a graduate student at University of British Columbia who um, worked on the Bicycles for Development project. And she did some amazing work working with Janet in Uganda. And she also produced a paper co-authored by our co-host Lindsay, as well as Dr. Brian Wilson and Janet titled People Still Believe a Bicycle is for Poor Person Features of Bicycles for Development or organizations in Uganda and perspectives of practitioners. And although Janet's going to talk a lot about some of, um, you know, the organizations involved in this research, if you do want some further information on that work, please do check out that article. So Janet, you did mention some of the organizations and their focus. Could you tell us a bit more about what kind of development goals these organizations usually have, if they are all focused on certain goals or if they mix a couple of kind of development goals together? Okay, when I look at what she calls domestic NGOs, and Mm -hmm. some of them are community-based organizations, that means they are registered locally at a local level and others at a bit of a higher level, like the NGOs. But most of them were community-based organizations. One theme that is clear about all of them is that they try to improve livelihoods through uh, increased access to health services, increased access to business opportunities, for example, markets and education opportunities, among others. Maybe just to explain a bit of that, we found people who were walking as long as 20 kilometers to go to hospital. Some of these are HIV positive people. So when they have a bicycle, it is easier for them to 
take that distance without much strain. And then business, they are able to access markets to go and sell their produce. And then education, as they do these businesses, they are able to take their children to school, which otherwise wouldn't be possible. At least almost all the organizations had a similar trend, apart from probably one which had a focus on bike tourism in the Karamoja region. Now, when you come to the international organizations, if you look at some of their goals, you find they are maybe like Bike Not Bombs is thinking of using bicycles as a tool for social change to achieve economic mobility. Uh, when you look at Pedos for Progress, is also a non-profit organization with an aim to supply economic development. Bike for Life also focuses on alleviating poverty same to bike against poverty. Those are the international ones. So when you look at that, you realize that most of these people, whether within here or the funding organizations, there is a way they are trying to deal with the problem of poverty, which is actually the first sustainable development goal. But I must say in all that, when you look at the first five sustainable development goals, all of them are an issue that these sports programs are trying to deal with, the very first five, which include ending poverty, zero hunger, good health, quality education, gender equality. If you analyze those five, you'll notice that Locally, that is what our organizations here are trying to do. But even when you assess what the funding organizations are trying to do, that is all. However, I must say that it is also very possible that some other funding organizations could have other aims. For example, what if the funding organization is a manufacturer of bicycles and they want to show some charity? Maybe their number one goal wouldn't be to alleviate poverty. It could be raising awareness, you see, of what they are doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you so much. That was you know, a really good overview of the organizations. And I'm wondering, you know, obviously we see and and in in your work, Janet, that you also see these organizations are doing a lot of development work through the use of the bicycle. But why do you think they decided that cycling or using bicycles for development was the main tool that that they should use to achieve uh, social justice or, or development goals? When you look at the areas where we went in northern Uganda, you'll also notice that there's very limited public transport, especially in terms of vehicles. So the biggest option that they can have is a bicycle. It could be a bicycle or a motorcycle. But again, when you talk of a motorcycle and you don't even have money to put uh, gas or fuel in it, it's very difficult. It's costly. They cannot afford. So it's much, much easier if someone uses a bicycle. It's also cheaper and accessible. Now, when I say cheaper, uh, a bicycle, like an Indian bicycle here, could cost about 100 US dollars. But now that looks cheap, but also very costly to them. So it, it looks cheap, but it's actually costly. 
but on the other side, it is the most affordable that they can get. So another person told us when we were in Amuru that a bicycle is also helpful because it is so rainy in their region and the roads can be so bad. You can fall with with a, with a motorcycle, you can mm-hmm. you get stuck with cars and indeed we also face the same. We got stuck at a certain place uh, in Amur. So what happens is he said if you're with your bicycle, you can just carry it on your shoulders when the road gets so bad and just move on. And yet if you're traveling with a car, you might have to spend a night in that place when the roads get so bad in the rainy season. So the terrain also makes a bicycle very helpful. Then thirdly, there are places which a car may not access. For example, some of the things that they gave and they say that we have to go and collect water with these bicycles. We go and collect firewood for cooking. You know, we travel to the garden to go and cultivate. Now, some of these things, you cannot use a car because you pass through bushes. And so how do you get a car to take you to a bush to dig? And besides, even the income that you get, it's only a bicycle that will actually be much affordable for you to use. So the bicycle is very flexible. You can use it to move to different places. Thirdly, all these people, there are many, they can't afford this, but they can actually get many people using bicycles. Like the same money that you would send maybe 100 people bicycles cannot even buy one car here. So it is an advantage to use a bicycle. Yeah, that was just some excellent context. And I particularly really enjoyed how you mentioned the areas in which bicycles are really used based on the work that you did. And also in terms of how bicycles, at least in in some areas, kind of are more conducive for transportation rather than even a car, which is often assumed to be, you know, the best option sometimes. Mm. But but yeah, thanks, Jan. And I also, I remember um, the story of, of, getting stuck in in the mud from the field work. So that's always an interesting story too. But um, we'll leave that for another another time for the listeners. In terms of another way that the bicycle was used, we learned about bicycle savings groups during the research in Uganda. Could you tell our listeners a bit more about these savings groups and the connection of the bicycle to the savings groups? Okay. A village savings and loan association is usually a group of about 10 to 30 people. Though, like the organization we visited with you focuses on 30 people. They meet regularly to save together and can take small loans from those savings groups. The activities usually run for a period of about one year. Sometimes with a target, they could say we are saving for Christmas. And so they save for the whole year. And when the money is accumulated and it is Christmas time, then they share the money plus the the profits and start the savings again. You remember that some of the people we interviewed say they like the bicycle savings group because they were not just saving to eat for Christmas, but they would save 
and share that money in January to pay mostly school fees for their children. Mm-hmm. So that is very good. So these savings usually helps them. They are able to maintain their small businesses running. Maybe one thing that I could say about this savings group, yes, it has helped many of the, the women. Uh, and in this particular one, they would go take some porridge, you buy the porridge at about 1,000 Uganda shillings, which is very, very little. And you save about between lowest 1,000, it could go up to 10,000 in a week. However, it's not like a very big bank that you can get very strong capital. So they sometimes need a bit of empowering. Maybe if you took 10,000 times four, that is four, maybe 40,000 a month, that's almost about $10, slightly more, maybe let's say $11 a month, and you multiplied it by by 12, what would you get? It, it's very little money. So while it has worked very well, it still does not give them the biggest strength to go to the bigger businesses. And I think that is where empowerment would still be needed to support these groups to grow to those bigger levels. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, excellent kind of points there. And and could you also, you spoke about empowerment and how the savings are kind of collected by the group for some activities or for certain areas of life, such as education. Could you also tell us, Janet, you know, based on when we were working with some of these groups, other than saving money, what role did these groups play in um, the women's lives? Yeah. Now, these groups meet together. And first of all, the groups that we met were all women's groups at that time. But we also know that in the uh, communities outside the bicycle savings group, there are also other groups that are maybe both men and women. There are also some that are men only, but there are few across the country. There are few majority of these village savings groups are either men and women or women alone. And so in this bicycle savings group, they are in these groups because the bicycles joined them together. So they share about how to manage their bicycles, how to use it to build their businesses. They also share and advise each other. Sometimes when the marriages are failing, you can get advice and support in that respect. And then also they, like one of the groups that we visited with you, you know, they were an HIV positive group. So they also support each other regarding their health, uh, what to do. One thing which was fascinating was I didn't realize that sometimes they go up to the level of sharing their antiretroviral treatment, ARVs, because there were times when the ARVs would get finished at the clinic and some of them still have, and they share with a plan to go and get more from the clinic and replace. I didn't know such things actually happen. So they they really advise it's a very closely knit family that sits together and discuss everything, discuss their marriage, discuss their family, discuss their community. Another thing that someone said is whenever someone 
passes on, they try to ensure they are there, present for the burial, to give social support. These particular groups that we met, they were registered at the sub-county, which is a local government administrative unit. They were also registered as community-based organizations. Thank you. Yeah, no, thank you, Janet. And, you know, I would completely and uh, agree that these groups, while they had a focus on saving money, they were also, you know, a collective group that did a lot of things together, like you said, and acted as like a support system in, in many ways. And it was also really interesting to see how it was more than just a savings group, but kind of that bicycle savings group, too. And just to clarify for our, our listeners, so I was working with Janet, who led the community-based field work in Uganda, and I was involved in a second phase when we kind of uh, worked with and, and talked with these bicycle savings groups, whereas um, Madison also worked with Janet during a first phase where they went around and talked with Bicycle for Development organizations. So just a bit of clarity there, but obviously Janet has been involved in kind of really a comprehensive phase where she has spoken with both participants of these programs as well as the practitioner. So that's why we're really lucky to have her as a guest today. So Janet, the other thing I was wondering, and you kind of touched on this earlier, is in regard to how you think, if at all, the bicycle and the work being done with the bicycle connects to broader community and international development efforts. Definitely, I think, you see, both the local, like the local government here and the international development institutions, I think they focus on bringing knowledge and resources to support or promote the community development. What I see is they do it in varied scales. For example, as I said, international organizations may bring funding for different projects. The local government sets up roads, sets up schools, and sets up uh, you know, different services on ground, but they are all targeting promoting community development. And I see the bicycles are also in the same way supporting this because the the bicycles are enhancing the achievement of these efforts. They are all contributing towards ending poverty, as I mentioned, reducing hunger, promoting good health. Imagine if the international organization sent funding maybe to support health service strengthening, maybe brings workers on ground. And then the local government builds a school, builds a a health center. And then the people sit back and don't go because it is too far, you see. But now we get funding, for example, there are different organizations, international organizations that support, you know, health service strengthening, that support education in rural areas, and then the government has set up these physical structures on the ground. With the bicycle, these people are able to travel to access services, free ARVs for the HIV-positive people that is actually funded. They are able to get it. They are able to take their children to school despite the long distances. They, so they are in good health. They can access education. 
their organization supporting gender equality. And if they only train and maybe these people can, the bicycle is helping these women. They say that one of the things that the bicycle has helped them to do is to be able to to stand and challenge men in some leadership positions in the community. But if they are trained and they they feel so disempowered that they cannot stand to compete, that is difficult. So I see the BESCO is really contributing towards the development efforts of the international institutions and also the local institutions here. Thanks. Mm-hmm. For sure. And, you know, you just mentioned um, in terms of gender mm-hmm. equality and gender inequality. Could you tell us more about how participants spoke to their use of the bicycle kind of in regard to challenging structures of gender inequality? Yeah, so there are a number of things that they gave, but basically like in their homes, one, there's respect from their husbands, some of those who have husbands who used not to allow them to move and they were stay-at-home wives. Now they are able to move and go to meetings. And you can see what they say, that the meetings are actually making, the, helping them to learn a lot, learn about business skills, learn how to manage their homes. So by giving them freedom to move, that has helped them. The exposure that they get as they move, has also helped them to build their confidence. And it takes you to see a woman who has been held back at home and cannot move and is so fearful to understand the difference of what these women are talking about. Some of them, because now they can also provide in the home, even the beatings have reduced. But that doesn't mean that domestic violence has totally ended, for example. There's also a situation where the bicycle is still perpetuating, you know, gender inequality and domestic violence as such. For example, the men were always reported to be drinking and laid back and neglecting their families. So it's like the woman has the burden to do all these things. So to me, it's more like sugarcoating a situation because... Already the problem was existing. The men were unbothered about them. Now that the bicycles have come, the women can work and support the whole family and the man just sits back there and relaxes. And then another thing also I I saw is that the, the, the men, sometimes some of them said that if a man, for example, wants the bike and she also wants the bicycle, she would leave the man to take the bicycle because he's a big man of the home. And in another interview earlier, a woman said, if a man wants to annoy you, he can just take your bicycle and disappear the whole day. So there are still those issues, but at least the women have found a bit of a safe landing. I think there's still more to be done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, thanks, Janet. Yeah. I think that really provided an overview of what we found and heard from participants in regard to how, in some ways, you know, it does maybe contribute to gender equality, but in, in many other ways, perhaps more there, it doesn't really resolve various issues that they spoke to in, in terms of gender inequality. So, and I'm wondering, you also have experience with sport programs and sport for development programs. In your opinion, 
Is bicycles for development different from sport for development or sport development efforts in your community? Or is it kind of similar? I'm just wondering what you think about the two kind of movements and fields at this point. Uh, You see, the other sports are more recognized. For example, recently we had here a world champion, Cheptegei, for athletics internationally. So everyone looks at him and is yes, he's a sportsman. You don't find them saying, um, no, there is a world champion in cycling here. It's it's a bit unheard of. If you go to the national curriculum, it's not something that is being uh, promoted as a sport that people should take on. Actually, the only thing I, I, I've seen, maybe some competitions may have been in the in the case of maybe there is a running for a charity or cycling for a charity program. So bike for development might be a different field of its own. And then there are also people, people have different views of it. When you come to the people in the urban areas, they kind of look at it like, oh, okay, that is for the poor people. Apart from recently when the president had to declare that only bicycles would be used during the lockdown following COVID. So in that case, even when you talk to some government officials, for example, in the capital city, Kampala, they look at it and, oh, you're doing bicycles for development. They find it a strange word. So they are a bit different. But I think they, they, they've not yet realized that bicycles contribute to development the way they think the other sports that are always known, like uh, um, maybe athletics also contribute to development of the nation and the people. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's really interesting you mentioned about how you know, bicycles and what kind of spaces they enter. So in urban contexts, they're kind of looked down upon um, in some ways by others and and viewing it as kind of like for the poor. Whereas in the rural area, you know, some people spoke about, at least from what I recall about how if you have a bicycle, sometimes people in the community see you as, you know, really being able to own a bicycle and seeing someone as kind of a higher status in, in, in the rural areas. Is that is that correct from what I recall, Janet, like in terms of the status yeah. of the bicycle? Mm-hmm. When you are in the rural areas like we were, definitely it's a higher status that you have a bicycle. However, when you are in the urban area, it's not a very big deal. But there are also people in the rural areas who have some very expensive bikes, you know, like those who can afford, mm-hmm. you find them buying brand new mountain bikes, which are at a different level. Those ones, those mountain bikes can go at about a thousand dollars, you see. But majority of the people whom we were looking at are very needy people who cannot even afford that. Imagine. Someone buys a bicycle of $1,000, but these ones are... You remember every woman we interviewed said, bring us bicycles, and they're talking of bikes of $100. I say, bring us bicycles, yeah. So they are needy. So when they see you with a bicycle in that kind of community, 
certainly your status is at a different level. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for um, just adding to that, too. And and while we're on the topic, I guess maybe I'm wondering about, you know, some participants we spoke to, particularly those who weren't in the bicycle savings groups kind of talked. Well, actually, all participants talked about it, but how other community members viewed the bicycle savings groups and and getting bikes from a organization without having to pay. Could you just talk about how some of those viewpoints were raised about the the bicycle savings groups and those people who weren't in in those groups who we talked with? So the the people who were in the group and as a result of being in the group, they were able to get bicycles without paying for them because they were donated by the other international organizations. There are also people we interviewed who had bought their bicycles. The difference we saw is that the ones who got the donated bicycles were actually able to get either brand new bikes, the Indian bikes, which are about $100, or some of them got second-hand bicycles, meaning reused bicycles. Those are the bicycles that came maybe like from U.S., Australia, and came all the way to Uganda. However, the people who bought bicycles on their own will tell you they had to work for at least between three to six months saving money, and they still ended up buying old reused bicycles. Now, what was happening in the community as a result, those who received the bicycles, they're happy, their families are happy, but we also saw tendency for jealousies and anger towards these people who got bicycles. In fact, you get some statements from the community saying, uh, lend me your HIV bicycle. You get other statements of someone telling you, mm, borrows your bike and brings it when it's broken down and they don't want to repair it. They say, after all, you got it free of charge. Uh, which were all tensions that these people had to deal with. But on the whole, receiving bicycles was a good thing. It's something that really cannot be overlooked. Maybe what can be thought about is, how do you make it possible that people can actually get bicycles with ease, whether they are HIV positive or not, as long as they are in that community? And I would like to refer to the earlier interview with Madison, where bike against poverty was giving people bicycles as asset loans. So they give them bicycles and they pay over time. That can actually help a community so that people do not start looking at other people as the problem because they don't have a bicycle. Yeah, that was excellent. Just providing an overview of you know what we learned about some people, how they viewed the bicycle and, and in terms of, you know, how some people felt, I guess, excluded from the groups. But you also made a really good point about considering, you know, giving out bicycles to various people in those communities. So I think we're going to move to topic three here. And particularly, I wanted to know from your perspective, Janet, what you would yes. say are ongoing challenges that remain in regard to the use of bicycles and bicycle-focused social justice in communities in Uganda that we uh, talked with? Looking at the challenges, you look at the different groups that are involved. 
maybe if I may start from the top going downwards, I already talked of the international organizations who can actually bring lots of bicycles, especially the reused ones. But uh, there's also a big challenge in Uganda of taxation. So if you find that there's almost 100% taxation on some of these, on almost all these commodities. Now, if you bring one, and I say one truck or trailer, we call them trailers here, of used bicycles, and then you have to pay 100% tax, it's really a big problem. So some of the people who, the international people who give us bicycles are now turning to other countries, even Kenya, and leaving Uganda because of the difficult taxation involved. Now, when you come to the NGOs that are operating here or the CBOs, they also have their kind of challenges. One is the need is so great. I must say that even the group we, we visited, which had about 400 women in different bicycle groups of 30-30, not every woman in that group has received a bicycle. Mm -hmm. So the, the need is great and they cannot meet all those needs. So they are always looking for ways how can we increase the availability for these bicycles. Two, there was also a challenge that some of the international organizations have come maybe once or twice given bicycles, but never really come to, to see the impact of the work that they started. So it would also be good, the local CBOs and NGOs would also like that the international funders come and view the work that they've started. And then many of these were CBOs. There are, of course, other bigger organizations. I've seen organizations like the First African Bicycle. There are other big ones altogether who can really manage. But I also see that the NGOs and CBOs that are smaller on ground doing very good work, but they are low capacity. You find that they are managed by maybe one man, two, who are technical, and they, there's really a lot that is involved. They may not do much in terms of extra planning and strategic planning that is needed. So it's good to build their capacity. Now, when you look at the primary beneficiaries of the bicycles, they also have challenges in using the bicycles. You find poor terrain, which we earlier talked about, and the weather. While it's an advantage that you can carry your bicycle when it rains, there is also a problem that because of very bad roads, the bicycles keep breaking down. Also, they carry too much weight. Someone could carry 200 kilogram sacks of three of them of beans or maize meal on those bicycles and ride them long distances. So they end up breaking down all the time, and which is frustrating. I like what World Bicycle Relief does. They decided to design a special bike that can manage such roads and such weather. 
specifically designed. Mm-hmm. I think it's called, um, I don't know, maybe Buffalo Bike or something. Yeah, that's it. Yes, but they 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 designed a particular bicycle that can handle such vagaries, which was very, very wise for them because it helps. These bicycles do a lot of heavy work. Not every bike works in such places. Then there's also challenges of stigma in the community. Like I said earlier, people are telling you, mm-hmm. you know, borrow they borrow your bike and break it down and they don't want to work on it and others just come and still we remember we interviewed a woman who says she locks herself moves with her dog she's always scared because the thieves are many and they steal the bicycles you could go to the market and because people are saying okay that bicycle is marked we know it it was given free they Mm -hmm. even steal it so you can see challenges involving this whole bicycle movement, bicycle for developed movement. There are different challenges at different levels. Yeah, thanks. Thank you. That was it provided a really excellent overview of the multiple challenges going from, you know, international organizations right down to the local level. And I think, you know, they're all really pressing challenges that uh, need to be addressed. We talked about terrain in particular and and social inclusion, exclusion, and also the use of the bicycle and how people use it. I remember <laughs> do you, when we were driving and we saw someone biking with like 20 chairs on the back of their bicycle like it was a 20 feet high stack i i remember that we and so just thinking about how the bicycle is used and how much is put onto it so thanks a lot janet and you mentioned earlier too a really interesting point about how only bicycles were allowed to be used during lockdown and so i'm wondering where you see the future of bicycle use and bicycle focused social justice programs going in the future especially with the impact of covid 19 and and also if you could tell us a bit more about how bicycles were the only permitted transportation use during covid in uganda you see initially when there was a lockdown I think only food vendors were allowed to operate and vehicles were not allowed to move, motorcycles couldn't move. So when the lockdown was eased a little, they said, okay, now you cannot even use a motorcycle to move, only bicycles would move. What happened at that time, the prices of bicycles skyrocketed. They actually went (laughs) double the price. It was so bad and many people, there are people who had bicycles in their homes and had not used them in a long while. People had to pull out their bicycles because it was all that they could use. Now, I am personally interested in knowing because I have not yet known what happened to places like Northern Uganda. I'm sure they were pretty happy because for them, it's been the order of the day. Those people look at bicycles as uh, their livelihood. But when you come to places like Kampala and Western Uganda, people don't use bicycles that much. So this was like an awakening for them that it's a good thing to own a bicycle. And many of them bought bicycles. There was a man who who amazed me, but he was on TV. He, he started, that was in Entebbe and Kampala. He started 
getting ARVs using his bike. He would ride from Entebbe almost close to Kampala, get ARVs for all the children and other adults that he used to work with. And he used to ride long distances. Well, after his sharing on TV, some group went and bought him a motorcycle. But I think people now realize how important it is to own a bicycle. And there's one organization called Fabio, First African Bicycle Organization. I think now it really makes sense what they're doing, trying to lobby for, for bicycle lanes, for example, in the capital city, Kampala, because originally people wouldn't see such things. But I think when you look at the future for the bicycle, especially in lobbying for things like bicycle lanes to encourage people to to ride, especially for their health as a health issue, this is going to be strengthened. And I think as of now, some bicycle lanes have been established in Kampala, and I think many more are going to be established. And some people started using bicycles because of the effect of COVID, and I think they are going to continue. Maybe not too, too much as it was during that time, but definitely there are people who took bicycles for granted and now are rethinking what their views were initially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting to see how the perceptions of the bicycle have been changed with COVID and, you know, just with mm-hmm. the world, you know, the impacts of COVID in Uganda and everywhere around the world, how much things are kind of changing. And it's interesting that the bicycle, you know, might be taking on a more primary role in, in different areas where before, as you mentioned, particularly in those urban areas, maybe it wasn't seen as, you know, an effective transportation tool or wasn't seen as something that was so much desired. So thanks for sharing that, Janet. And I think we just have one last question before if you'd like to add anything that you've missed. But before that, um, I'm just wondering what kind of general suggestions you'd have to people or organizations becoming involved in bicycle-focused social justice or this type of work. One major one is that, as I said, when you go to northern Uganda, people look at this as a livelihood. When you start up this kind of bicycle organization, it would be good to consider talking to the primary beneficiaries, understand what their needs are, because once you know their needs, it's easy for you to set up a bicycle program that works well for them. It's also good for you to talk to the local leaders, find out what their challenges are. Because if you just come and bring any type of bicycle, we saw some people saying, ah, for us, we don't need sports bicycles because they don't work for us. I noticed there are things about size of the bicycle, type of the bicycle. And then they can also give you advice. For example, the international funders, some of them have been advised that send the bicycles here and let's have a way of distributing some and selling some of the bicycles to handle the taxation rate. So instead of just running away because of the taxation, discuss 
with the bodies that work here to see what is really possible. You can get some very good suggestions. In terms of social inequality, it is good to find a way of discussing with the local government bodies to establish you know, bylaws within the community and deal with some of these oppressive, you know, structures in place, cultures that dominate women, for example, cultures that say, you know, the girl child should stay at home, the girl child should walk while the boys just uh, sit and walk around doing nothing and oppress girls, they don't go to school. Hmm? you notice that a number of women whom we interviewed couldn't even speak English. And they were saying, you see, culturally here, uh, they take the boys more serious. They are the ones who go to school. Now, it's good to put up bylaws which can say every child must go to school. Uh, no child is going to stay at home. Have uh, the affirmative action implemented in the communities see that the men actually take care of their children and families instead of sitting and drinking the whole day. You know, the issue of alcohol, the men wake up as early as eight, you find them drinking, and someone drinks up to eight in the night and comes to beat a wife because she has cooked vegetables. So those are things that the, the, you know, the lawmakers should deal with and see that the families are settled. Otherwise, if they don't, these things will just continue like this. And then we can also have, you know, people who may not be particularly involved in bicycle work, but, you know, technical people in other areas. For example, as I said earlier, someone might be an expert in agribusiness and comes and teaches these women, now you are in a savings group, now you have a bicycle. How do we help you to improve your business? So that they can reach a level where they can get even bigger loans, for example, in the bigger commercial banks, instead of remaining at that village savings level. They can grow to higher scale, so that there is a difference in their lives, bigger, bigger differences. That is what I'm looking at. So I think there's a lot that can be done, but at the heart of it all, there should be capacity building for those local CBOs. There should be open communication. And if the government can consider lowering the tax but if they don't at least there should be a way the international funders can still communicate with the local cbos here and i must commend the international funders who have worked with the locals here it is a good thing that they should keep up if it is an international person who wants to work here it's better to work with the local people they know the needs they know what to do if it is a local person here, they should also work with the beneficiaries closely. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. And you know, those are such important recommendations and suggestions. And I think you know you 
really hit the nail on the head in terms of having to work locally and with the program beneficiaries and um, especially for international organizations. So, you know, obviously more work has to be done. And I'm really appreciative that uh, you just listed all those recommendations and suggestions, which hopefully we can, you know, get out a bit more through the work that uh, we've done and, and so on. So is there anything else that you would like to say, Janet? We covered a lot of things, but we might have missed anything that you felt the need to talk to and that might be um, important to say for the listeners. Um, maybe I already said it, but I will still talk like the women told us to talk and said, bring more bicycles. Mm-hmm. So I want to encourage anyone listening and maybe you have a bicycle out there, reach out to this. If you are in Europe and have access to these organizations, Bike Not Bombs, Bike for Life, one, we appreciate them for the bicycles that they've given and say, keep up the good work. It's a great work that you're doing, supporting our people. And I would encourage that if someone wants to bring bicycles here, Look out for those organizations, support them, and let them continue this work. Someone will be helped. One bicycle like this can take someone to school, can improve someone's health. So I also encourage them, do everything you can. If you can support with the bicycle, support. It could be a physical bicycle, it can be a financial giving. And then on our part, I I must say that it was a great thing doing this study. I personally was able to see big changes with something as small as a bicycle. And I think that bicycle for development is a great thing that cannot be taken lightly. Bicycles are transforming lives out there. It is a reality. It is transforming lives. And we appreciate all those who have made it possible. Thank you. Thanks so much, Janet. And for sure, I think, you know, there's plenty of organizations that are collecting bicycles, some of those that you named. And, you know, that was one of the most pressing issues that participants spoke to a lot was to bring more bicycles. And so I just want to say mm-hmm. thank you so much, Janet. We're so appreciative of you joining the call. And obviously, this research couldn't even have been conducted without your leadership. And it's been such a pleasure collaborating and so on. And so, yeah, I think that will wrap up the podcast for today and thank you to all the listeners and thank you most especially to janet for joining us and we will see you or i guess you'll be hearing us the next time the podcast goes on so have a great day everyone and all the very best thanks again janet welcome much appreciated thank you Music for this podcast was provided by Lobo Loco and Broke for Free. 